and welcome to Next Reads, a podcast where we read the first chapter of a young adult or middle grade book to help you figure out what to read next. This podcast might contain language or situations some listeners might find offensive or unsettling. The North Liberty Library does not necessarily endorse any author's views, but it does support the freedom of speech and the freedom to read. Now on to the show. I'm your host, Erin, Youth and Teen Services Librarian at the North Liberty Library. My pronouns are she and her. Welcome, listeners. Today, I am going to be reading from a book called Yonder by Allie Standish. And it's got good blurbs from Alan Gratz, who, if you read Refugee or Ground Zero, you probably know that name the author of The Vanderbeekers of 141st Street, also gave a blurb. I'm going to read to you the front flap. It says, Danny Timmons has looked up to Jack Bailey ever since the older boy saved two small children from drowning during the Great Flood of 1940. Now with his father away fighting in World War II and his mother about to have a new baby, Danny relies on Jack's friendship and guidance more than ever. So when Jack goes missing without a trace from their small Appalachian town, Danny is determined to find him. He wonders if Jack's abusive father could be behind his disappearance, or if it has anything to do with Yonder, a hidden magical town Jack once spoke of, where flocks of rainbow birds fly through the sky, and they've never even heard of war. As answers elude him, Danny begins to fear that he didn't know Jack as well as he thought. Eventually, Danny's search forces him to reckon with even larger questions. What is America fighting for in this war? What role do each of us play in stopping injustices, big and small? And is there such thing as a true hero? So, little historical fiction, also maybe an element of fantasy. It's a magical town, I'm not sure. Okay, there's a little inscription at the front that says the land of our better selves is most surely reached by walking and it's an inscription at beacon heights mile 305.1 blue ridge parkway author unknown prologue every hero has a story stories i've learned are a bit like hearts we've all got one inside us locked away just out of sight but just because you know there's a heart beating in the chest of the person standing right beside you doesn't mean you can hear it. Mostly you never do. Stories are the same way, told in whispers as often as not, so you have to listen close to hear them. I think you have to listen especially close when it comes to heroes. We all want to see heroes, to pat them on the back and shake their hands and tell them what a swell job they've done and how thankful we are. We want them to be brave, but we don't want to hear what that bravery has cost them. We don't want to know that underneath all that bravery is fear, deep and cold as the Watanga River after the first spring thaw. We don't want to hear their stories, not their true stories anyway. We'd rather tell stories of our own. It was that way when the soldiers went off to war and when they came home, and it was that way with Jack too. The first time I took much notice of Jack Bailey was about the same time lots of folks in Foggy Gap did. It was the summer of 1940, and I was 10 years old. It had been raining for three days straight. A hurricane blowing in off the coast had thrown a surprise left hook worthy of a champion prize fighter and come barreling toward Appalachia. 
The rain was still pouring down and the water was ankle high in some of the streets as we waded to church on Sunday morning. The whole congregation sat soggy and shivering as Pastor Douglas shouted over the storm. He gave an especially heated sermon that morning, like he thought maybe the fire in his voice could drive the damp cold from our pews. It was as he banged his fist against the pulpit to emphasize the power of the Lord's will that the church groaned and seemed to give a great lurch, like a spooked horse. Before Pastor Douglas could say another word, half the congregation was running for the doors to see what was going on. Thankfully, my family's normal pew was toward the back, which meant I was able to squirm through the adults gathering on the church steps to see what they were staring at. The Watauga had burst its banks, and the dirt road that separated the river from the church had now completely disappeared under swiftly flowing water, the color of Daddy's morning coffee. In fact, half the church steps were already underwater. My best friend Lou shoved in next to me. Look, Danny, she cried out gleefully as she gripped my arm. There goes Mr. Maynard's car. Mrs. McGuire quickly clapped a white-gloved hand over Lou's mouth, but by then the rest of us had already spotted the brand new Oldsmobile being carried away by the water. From behind me, I heard a man who could have only been Mr. Maynard yell something that certainly had never been uttered on those church steps before. Quick as a flash, Lou's mother's hands moved from Lou's mouth to her ears. Then someone else cried out. People began to point to an object floating toward us. As it drew closer, it wasn't one object, but two. And they weren't objects at all, but two little girls, the Coombs twins, who had stayed home from church that morning on account of having the chicken pox, were floating side by side in the water, flailing and sputtering for breath. They'll drown, shouted Mrs. Updike as the twins neared. Somebody do something. There was a moment's pause when we all searched ourselves for the courage to jump in, each one of us finding instead an excuse not to. Then from somewhere to my left, I heard a familiar voice, one that never failed to make me flinch. My daddy can do it, Bruce Pittman crowed. He's the best swimmer in town. And with that, all eyes turned from the twins to the Pittmans. Mr. Pittman stood behind Bruce. His face went sallow, his knuckles turning white on his son's shoulders. His features were pinched like he had just stepped in a steaming pile of horse manure. Mr. Pittman's eyes flickered from the bobbing heads in the swift churning water. He licked his lips. They're going under, squealed Mrs. McGuire as the two tiny heads disappeared beneath the water. Mr. Pittman opened his mouth to say something, but we never found out what it was. An elbow jutted into my ribs as people were pushed aside. Then the flash of someone diving into the water. He was tall, but his shoulders narrow. A boy who wasn't quite yet a man. For a long moment, he didn't reappear, and I thought whoever the boy was, he might have drowned. Who is that? I heard Mama ask Daddy. I think it's John Bailey's boy, Daddy replied. Jack, isn't it? The name began to ripple through the crowd. I only knew Jack Bailey from a distance then as a boy three years ahead of me in school who wore the same ratty clothes every day. Behind us all, Pastor Douglas began to pray loudly. Our Heavenly Father, maker of heaven and earth, but no one else joined in. We were too busy watching as Jack Bailey suddenly reappeared, hoisting an arm beneath the shoulders of each tiny twin. Then he began to swim toward a river birch that had been felled by the flood, and which was likely what had shaken the church, but whose roots still held fast. If he could get to the tree and lift the girls onto it, they would be able to shimmy along the trunk all the way to where its upper branches rested on dry land. 
At first, it looked like they weren't going to make it. The current wanted to sweep them forward, not allow them a sideways detour. But then Jack seemed to find some strength he must have been saving up and began to kick harder and harder, and the people on the steps began to shout, You can do it, son. A little faster now, that's it. Then he had reached the birch tree, which gave him enough protection from the current to lift the coombs twins one at a time onto the trunk. The girls coughed up river water as Jack hoisted himself up after them. We watched as he gently pushed them to start scooting their way along the trunk toward dry land. By that time, a few men had run through the church's back door and along this hillside graveyard that still sat above the rising water, where the top of the tree had landed. As soon as the twins were near enough, two of the men reached through the boughs to lift each of them off. Behind them, Jack jumped down. The moment they were all on dry land, everyone began to clap and cheer. Some of the women held their handkerchiefs to their noses or eyes, though the handkerchiefs must already have been soaked from the rain. Mr. Maynard looked close to tears, too, though I thought it was more likely he was misty-eyed over his car than out of relief for the twins. Only Mr. Pittman looked more unhappy. Bruce, too, was scowling, his cheeks flushed. I elbowed Lou and nodded over at him. She snorted in appreciation. I turned my gaze back toward Jack. I thought he might wave or cheer or grin, the way a boy might if he'd hit a home run or won a round to capture the flag. Instead, he tilted his chin toward the sky and closed his eyes against the rain. Like that water might baptize him anew, even though he'd already been washed clean by the river. Like it was him who had needed saving that day instead of the Coombs twins. No one else saw the raw-boned boy point his face skyward. They were too busy clutching each other and laughing in relief, already telling one another the story as if we hadn't all just seen it for ourselves. Daddy put Jack on the front page the next day. Local hero saves toddler twins from drowning death, read the headline. And from then on, that's what Jack Bailey was. Not a boy, a hero. We argued over the specifics, how long Jack went under the water. Some people swore he'd been down there for a full two minutes. How much those twins must have weighed soaking wet. Whether he'd found the strength from within, or whether it was given to him by the Lord, whom Pastor Douglas had called down to help not a moment too soon. But we all agreed on the main thing. Jack Bailey was a hero. We didn't stop to wonder what that made us. So that was the story we told about Jack. The story that followed him for years like a faithful old dog. But that was not Jack's story. Despite everything that would happen between us, I'm not sure I ever knew his story. I think he tried once to tell me. It was months after Jack had come to stay with us, after we'd started doing the paper route together after I'd come to think of him as my friend. We were lying on our backs on the river dock, basking in the sun. Summer was just spreading its bright wings over Foggy Gap. That was the day he'd told me about yonder. Maybe if I'd been listening more closely, I would have understood what he was trying to say. Maybe then when he went missing, I would have known that Officer Sawyer was right. It would have been better not to look for him at all. But I was too busy trying to be a detective, searching for clues, like Nancy Drew, who always solved the case in the books Lou gave me to read, in secret, if Bruce Pittman caught me reading a book about a girl he did hated me worse than he already did. I wish now I had tried as hard to be a good friend as I had tried to be the hero of the story. Maybe then I could have been both. And there was so much I didn't understand then, about Jack, about our small town and the great wide world, about war, and about my place in all of it. 
I didn't yet understand that every hero has a story, but not every story has a hero. Even now, after all this time, I'm still trying to figure out which one this is. A hero story or a story without a hero. And that is the end of the prologue, which is all I'm going to read because I think that sets up the story beautifully. And I think I'm gonna actually check out this book to read the rest of it because I'm super intrigued. I do like historical fiction. And I think this sounds like a great read. So I hope that you enjoyed that and that you also want to check it out. I promise to have it back by the time this episode is released. However, this not what you want to listen to or read, don't worry. There's lots more to be found at the library. Please check the show notes for books with similar themes. And I hope you join me next time for another Next Reads. Thanks.